Man, we're so grateful that all of you came out to be with us today. Thank you, worship team. And thank you, choir. I love this choir. They're fantastic. And thanks to the person who dropped off vegetarian chili on my porch on Friday. I don't know who you are, but thank you so much. And the gingerbread cookies. And I was so hungry. I came home from treatment. I'm so hungry. And I was just, it was great. Thank you. <laughs> Today is going to be a special service. I want to invite you to join me in adoring and worshiping the God King. The God King who came all the way from heaven to be born in Bethlehem. I could try to prove to you for the next little while that he is God and he is the King and all of that. But, you know, sometimes we just need to move from our heads into our heart. And we just need to worship him. And we just need to enjoy him. We, we need to go from the labor of proving into the simple joy of celebrating. And that's what I want to do with you today. Uh, Blaise Pascal, the famous uh, 17th century scientist and philosopher and mathematician, said this. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. No wonder more people have been drawn to Jesus Christ, the King, the God King from Bethlehem, than any person ever. No wonder history is divided between before he arrived and after he arrived, right? So worship him is intuitive. It's natural. It's enjoyable. Now, so I want, I want, you, to, I want you to get your praise on today, okay? I want you to get your praise on. And, and I don't know what that looks like for you. For some of you, it means raising hands. So let's have all the hand raisers practice right now. If you're a hand raiser, okay? Well, yeah, I didn't say you say anything. Just <laughs> That's another manifestation of praise is saying, woo! <laughs> now, some of you like to make noise. You say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Let, let me hear from all of you. You practice a little bit. <laughs> And some of you just smile. So you, would you practice? Just, some of you just sit quietly and smile. That's your manifestation of loud praise. Uh, that's really okay. That's really okay. And some of you get moist, misty-eyed like I do, and a tear rolls down your cheek. Now, you can't practice that. <laughs> but I want you to give in to that emotion today as we get through this service. The reason it's so important to gaze at the king's attractiveness, it's because of what the late David Wilkerson talked about. He talked about pork chop evangelism. <laughs> you know what pork chop evangelism is? It's what happens when the dog gets your slipper. And David Wilkerson said, you can try to wrestle the slipper away from the dog, or you can go get a pork chop. <laughs> and the dog will drop the slipper every time. For the pork chop, right? And when we see the beauty of Jesus, when we really see the beauty of Jesus, we will drop a lot of stuff that's in our way when we can gaze on the majesty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's what I want you to join me in doing today. Like I said a minute ago, I want you to move out of your head into your heart. Let, your, let the romance that's in you for God be expressed today. 
So join me today in celebrating and adoring, adoring and celebrating the one who draws us away from the cheap thrills of the world and the empty promises of the world around us into his beauty and into his majesty. Let's stand up and worship. know this one. The child has been given. The king of our freedom. Seen for the light has come. This is Christmas. Come and adore him. Bring gifts before the joy to the world, worship the star. This is Christmas. Here we are. He is Jesus, Emmanuel. He
be seated. I'm going to keep interrupting these guys today and to talk to you about this God King that has come to rule. And I want to talk to you today about the beauty of his rule. And the first beauty I want to talk about is the beauty of his immortality. The Bible says in Luke 1.30, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, central to the beauty of the God King is his reigning over mortality. Central to the joy and the beauty that we find in him is that he chose to conquer death. The Bible says, again, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now let that sink in. The king was going to rule over a new territory, death. His realm was going to be over eternity. We would have chosen for him to rule over geography, and we would have chosen him to rule in time. But he chose to rule in eternity, over eternity, instead of time. Why does this matter so much? Well, it matters because, and it matters so much, more than any time in history, this matters. Because we live under the shadow of death like no generation before us. And, and, we, and part of the problem is we have this mistaken idea that death is being conquered by technology. <laughs> we do. We've sanitized death and we've put it into hospitals and nursing homes mostly. And that didn't used to be the way it was. People died at home and we took care of them and buried them in the field out back. We don't do that anymore. For sure, we have prolonged life. Yes, we, we have prolonged life. But uh, I read about or heard about a minister in Boston in the 1800s who outlived 13 of his 15 children and, two of his, and his two wives. Now, that doesn't happen. People don't have 15 children anymore, either. But that doesn't happen, right? But why do I say we're into the shadow of death like no other generation? Well, here it is. We're the first generation, I believe, that has lost the consensus that there's certainly anything after death, much less anything afterward that is better. That means that we're far more dominated by the fear of death than any other generation. Uh, Tim Keller talks about this philosopher named Camus. And Camus had this illustration to show us the impact of the fear of death. If we have the fear of death, the impact on our everyday lives. And when I, when I share this, it may help you understand why we're becoming more fearful as people, more panic, more emotional, more, I, I, we, we got to fix this thing called earth. But Camus had this il a simple illustration. He said, pretend you're doing something you really like to do. It's your, it's your day off. And your day off, it's, it's the spring or the fall, and you like to go sit at a cafe outside and uh, drink espresso and read your favorite book. So, so, so you're, you're there reading your favorite book and enjoying your espresso, and a guy walks up with a gun, 
And he says, enjoy that. Enjoy what you like doing for, for another hour. And after the hour, I'm going to kill you. How much would you really enjoy your espresso after that? How really engaged would you be in your book? Ernest Becker, in his book, The Shadow of Death, said, In all civilizations, sex, money, and politics are important, but only in Western civilization have sex, money, and power been all important. Becker makes the claim that we're the first culture that thinks we have to cram all pleasure, all acquisition, and all power into this life. Now, we would all prefer a ruler who came to live for us, right? To avoid the battle that every leader before him had lost, and that was the battle of death. His predecessor understood this. King David understood this. For he said in Psalm 16:10, For you will not leave my soul in hell. He understood. I can rule the whole world, but the grave... Hell is what's waiting on me, for you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see decay. David was in essence saying, I don't need another king to defeat the armies that surround Jerusalem. I need a king that will get my soul out of hell. Hallelujah. Some of you get out to get your praise on because you're ahead of me. <laughs> you're ahead of me. That's what we have in Jesus, the God King. We, we would all like to have a king, as we're going to say uh, right now, who wins the battle of political supremacy, but we need a king who wins in the battle for lasting immortality. We, don't, we, need, we didn't need him to conquer Caesar. We needed him to conquer death. We didn't need him to conquer, conquer old corrupt Caiaphas down there at the temple in Jerusalem in the swamp of corruption that was down there. We didn't need him to defeat him. We needed him to defeat death. Like all political victories, they would have been reversed in time. They would have been reversed in time. We needed a God king who would forever remove the sting of death and the fear of the grave. A, a, a contemporary, a modern hero is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a follower of Christ and an intellectual. In fact, he taught at New York University for a year. But as Hitler began to rise to power, he said, I've got to go back and be a part of the opposition. Now, you may or may not agree with him becoming immersed in politics, even to the point of being a part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. But his conviction, what is, what is important is what the basis of his sacrifice was. What is important to me today is what made Bonhoeffer do it, to go back to Germany. And everybody warned him he was going to die if he went back. He went back to Germany, and yes, they did put him in prison, and they executed him, but right before they executed him, he wrote someone a letter, and he said this, death. And this was because he was informed by the gospel. Because his life was informed by the gospel, he said, death is the supreme festival on the road to freedom. Much like George Herbert said later, death used to be an executioner, but because of the gospel, Jesus has made death just a gardener. <laughs> Alexander the Great conquered the known world. But what difference did it make? His subjects weren't in bliss or happiness. You, you see, here, here's, here's the stark reality. 
you, you may think your candidate or your political party could move the world to utopia. We could conquer global warming so the planet would not blow up in 500,000 years or whenever that's supposed to happen. You, you might conquer war so that there are no more war. You might, you might conquer disease so that everybody lives to be 100. Now, we would think you were the you were the bomb if you could do that. If you could create a world where everybody lived to be 100 and there were no war and there were no strife and there were no crazy politics. But you know what? What would you have really accomplished? We st you're still going to live for a gazillion years after you die at 100. So we didn't need a king to conquer time we needed a king to conquer eternity. Can we just stop right now? Can we just stop right now and give up our gratitude to the one who loved us enough to skip the unsustainable earthly kingdom battles to take the fight to the dark forces that control death and came away with the keys of death, hell, and the grave? Can you give God some praise right now? Show the 
going to be king. He is. He's not going to rule someday. He's ruling now. I want you to know that. I want you to get that in your heart today. The beauty of his rule is so there for you to look at. The second aspect of the beauty of his rule is humility. For unto us a child is born, Isaiah 9, 6 says, and unto us a son is given. And at a time in Israel's history when the king of Israel had turned his back on God and the people of Israel are about to be disciplined by God and taken into Babylonian captivity, prophet Ezekiel writes, this is what the sovereign Lord says, take off your jewel crown for the old order changes. Now the lowly will be exalted and the mighty one will be brought down. Destruction, destruction, I will surely destroy the kingdom and it will not be restored unto the one who appears who has the right to judge it. There's only one king he could be talking about. Then I will hand it over to him. Let Isaiah 9, 6 sink in. God was born. God was born. Let that, let that come alive in you right now. He didn't appear, he didn't manifest, he didn't arise, he didn't explode on the scene, he was born. You don't need any military hardware for that. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That mighty God was born. There's nothing as weak and helpless and vulnerable as a human baby. I know this is a little disappointing and deeply disappointing for those of us who wanted a, what looked like a conquering king. But conquering kings had been around for centuries, and the graveyards were full of them. We didn't need another politically dominant ruler, as the song just said. We needed a new paradigm for human behavior. As this king would say, as I have washed your feet, wash one another's feet. Now that's the kind of ruler we need. We need a new paradigm for leadership. He that is greatest among you will be servant of all, this king said. Might makes right and the survival of the fittest have turned all kinds of good people into monsters. If Jesus, the God king, would have surrounded himself with military might and armaments and he'd have lived in a government compound and had legions of, and thousands of servants and assistants, it would have ruined everything for the human race. It would have ruined everything for the human race. We would have never known that the greatest power is serving and humility. We would have kept alive the delusion that the greatest power is dominance. And we would never know that the greatest power on the planet is love. This way of humility by our God King fundamentally changes the way we, his followers, are supposed to go through life. We don't go through life feeling inferior to the cool people but we don't need them to validate us right we have no need for that the, the, the God of the Bible is always choosing underdogs <laughs> so, so we don't get our value by being top dog in charge or getting our way all the time without Jesus we would have never known the paradox of the kingdom of God we would have never known what God was like we would have never known that the nature of God is like us when we're at our weakest and most insignificant. Think about this for a second. Jesus actually gave himself the title servant. You can see that in Philippians 2.7. 
And he actually reversed the roles for his disciples when he said to them, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Imagine a king. Imagine a president. Imagine a prime minister who gave himself the title servant but wouldn't give it to his friends. That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's attractive to me. No wonder I keep, you know why I keep getting drawn back to Jesus? Because I keep studying everybody else. <laughs> I keep looking at all the other leaders in the world. That's humility and that's the beauty of his rule. See, humility is uh, counterintuitive. It's counterculture and sometimes it even seems counterproductive. But it's so craved. We so crave it in our leaders. When I look at third world countries that are in such deep pain and poverty, it's almost never because they don't have enough resources. It's almost never because they don't have enough money that's flowing into their coffers. It's because they don't have a servant leader. They don't have a servant leader. Joaquin El Chapo Guzman was the Mexican drug cartel leader who, year after year, this is so interesting, this shows you this kind of mixed, this mixed um, idea we have about dominant people, even if they're criminals. Year after year, Forbes magazine named him as one of those powerful men in the world. He had this global international business that he he commandeered, and you know what he was good at? He's not, as, I don't know if he's as good at it now. He's in jail in the United States now. But he was good at getting people to serve him. He was a master, and he was ruthless. He would do whatever it took to get people to serve him. He actually built most of his empire while he was in prison in Mexico. For eight years, he was in prison in Mexico, and he took, literally took over the prison. All the guards were working for him. The warden was working for him. He would have his emissaries go to a guard and say, we want you to work for us. And when the guard refused, they would pull up a laptop computer with a picture of their family on it. And they knew their family would be dead if they didn't go along. And he literally took off the prison. When the government decided they were going to do something about it, he just left. <laughs> Imagine it. He just left and quit being in prison because that wasn't going to work anymore. The beauty of the God King is that he, his value and his beauty is not measured by how well he got people to serve him, but by, well, by how well we like him to serve us. There's nobody like him. Somebody say praise Jesus right now. There's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. I want you to look deeply into your own soul. And then I want you to look up toward heaven. And I want you to admire this morning the beauty of Jesus. The one who valued our needs above his comfort. And our redemption over his image. Let that sink in. And let's give him praise. <laughs> Thank you.
the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn.
Thank you. Thank you, Christy. So it's becoming obvious to us that he could not always be what we wanted if he was also going to be what we needed. All of us who love people have that experience, right? All of us who raise kids know if we're going to raise them well and really love them, we can't always be what they want us to be. We sometimes have to be what they need us to be. (laughs) The beauty that's most compelling to me today is the beauty of grace. Because that is what brings me in to the family. Grace. John 117, for the law was given by Moses. I'm not, I don't dis, disrespect the law. But the law will not bring me into favor with God. But grace will. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We needed saving grace far more than we needed political liberation, let me tell you. The irresistible beauty of the God King can be summarized in that one word. Now, people today like to say, you know, we don't need doctrines about salvation and grace. We don't need the Bible to be prescriptive. You know, that, that's, that's just a construct of religion. We don't need the Bible to be prescriptive. That's not even, word is not even my notes. I, I can't believe I can't say it today. So people do this. They say, we don't need doctrines of grace and salvation. We just need to admire the narrative of Jesus. We just need to admire the story and find ourselves in the story. Have you heard this kind of thinking? We just need to find ourselves in the story. The story is there to teach us to be like Jesus and all of his love and kindness and acceptance. And we don't need doctrines. We just need story. And they also say that we don't really, they don't really, they, they say, well, we don't really care about the story, but what we learn from the story. Just live a good life and you'll be fine. Time out, time out, time out. That statement is just be good enough for God. Just, just be a good person. It's loaded with doctrine. That's a very heavy doctrinal statement. That's called the doctrine of works. That says, if I will be like Jesus, I will have an eternity that will be okay. And if I'm not, I want. And you know, that is not good news for me. (laughs) That's crushing to be told that I have to read the story and find myself in the story and learn to be like Jesus. I don't know about you, that's crushing. I managed it for a couple of hours of the day, though. And then I woke up from my nap. (laughs) If the Christmas story is just about how we should live, that's not good news. That's defeating. I can never be as good as Jesus. I need a Savior, not just an example. Amen? Anybody with me today? I need a Savior, not just an example. Don't you get it? Jesus didn't just come to give us a beautiful story. He didn't come to just give us a beautiful example. He came to give us inner peace because our sins are forgiven. Do you get it? I can't just handle being told to live the narrative of Jesus. 
I need a God who will come and take my place. Come and skin. Bear my sin on the cross. Introduce me to the Holy Spirit who will enable me to be better than I would otherwise be for sure. I need a God who takes my place. See, all of the religions in the world are dependent on you doing the teachings of the founder. I will throw this on the wall for you. The founders of every major religion said, I'll show you how to find God. Jesus said, I'm the God who's come to find you. <laughs> the, the ironic thing, it's, it's been proved over and over again, is that what I call the mystery of holiness is that grace consistently produces better behaved people than law does, of course. That's in part because grace mortifies our human ego, which is the basis of evil anyway. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. Those of you who know me know I don't preach sloppy grace, or, nor do I believe it's okay to say I'm forgiven as a cover for destructive behavior. I do not. But let me say this, and I want you to hear what I'm going to say. Only people who are justified by faith and saved by grace will ever be comfortable in the presence of God. Write that. I know it's dark in here, so you can't write it down. But write it down in your brain. Only people who are justified by faith and saved by grace will ever be comfortable in the presence of God because I will never be good enough to be accepted in his presence. Sure, the Bible teaches behavior absolutely, but never as a means of getting saved, but as a result of being saved. Fruit trees don't work hard when they just produce, they don't work hard. A, a, an apple tree doesn't, I've never seen an apple tree exhausted. I've never seen a tomato plant exhausted. They just produce what's in their DNA. They just produce what the mitochondria, what the DNA inside of it causes them to produce. Jesus came to dwell in our hearts. So when I get full of Jesus, Jesus starts coming out in my life. But, but, it's, but it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's not me. When I, get, when I get the idea of being better than others, I worship the supremacy of myself. But when I, when I get over that idea, I worship the supremacy of Christ alone. It's the power that David Wilkerson talked about. It's the power of the pork chop. <laughs> it takes over, and I gladly drop this tasteless, stupid house leper to have the beautiful Christ and have him with me as my objective. How can I possibly be happy with low living and destructive priorities when I have Jesus don't worry about sin. Don't worry about sin. When you start loving the beauty of the rule of Jesus, you are ruined for sinning. You are ruined. You, you will still fail, but you won't like it. You'll be ashamed. You'll want to come back because you know you're better than that. You know you've been redeemed. You've been saved. You know you've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have become new and all things have passed away. You know your thinking has been transformed. You know you've been raised to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. You know you've observed the beauty of his immortality and the beauty of his humility. And now you're observing the beauty of his grace. You cannot be the same person. Amen. Hallelujah. Stop for a minute. And soak in the reality of the grace of the God King. Christ had the armies of heaven at his disposal. He could have imposed his will on humanity. 
He could have easily built an empire that would have made Roman Empire look pathetic. But Jesus came to woo and to win back God's lost children. He didn't come to crush an adversary. He didn't come to settle a score. He forgives sin. He ends injustice. Even his crucifiers got a shout of grace out from the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. It's time we stop whining. It's time we stop whining that he didn't fix the world, but instead celebrate that he lavished on a broken world the beauty of grace. Somebody say amen in here today. I, I don't think you're out there. It's dark in here. I don't think you're out there. Grace, the unmerited favor. I wrote these words many years ago. Grace, the unmerited favor of God up above. Grace, the power to love when I'm hard to love. Grace, the power to do all his will and run in the race whatever I am and whatever I'll be. It's by grace. Man, I hope you're hearing me today because if we'd have got the king we wanted, we wouldn't have, taken, we wouldn't have gotten a king who gave grace. We would have gotten a king that did everything by merit. We would have gotten a king that made everybody earn the right to be in his presence. Because that's what humans love. That's what old sinful human nature loves. Old human sinful nature loves a religion of works. Old human sinful nature loves a religion where you can compete against other people and you can try to be better than them. And that's the kind of king we would have chosen. But God who loves us said that's not what they need. They need grace. They need mercy. They need a God who gives his life for them. That's what they need and that's what I'm going to be for them. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he was revealed. That he might take away sin. Oh man. Somebody shout praise the Lord here today. Spirit. 
Shall come to thee, O oh, 
something in the heart that we're attracted to dark people. We're attracted to people that seem to have the power to dominate, even if they're not good. We have this admiration for people who can be so unchristlike, but can seemingly get things done, move things forward. And so Jesus comes in great contrast to that. Jesus came willing to look like a failure in order to be the greatest success of all. And he did that because he loved you. And I want those in this building, this room today, there are some people in this room who have not yielded to the beauty and romance of Jesus. You've not said yes to the God King because his offer wasn't he didn't slap you upside the head, but he came and died on a cross. And wrote, I'm telling you, but you, you need to know this fact. They haven't found a body yet. And he marched into hell and took away from a really dark force, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I want you to have him. You leave here with him as your savior. That's what I want. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. And for some of you, you're going to pray it for the first time. Some of you are going to re-pray it. You prayed it, but you've walked away. And you're going to come back to Jesus today. And we have uh, in the uh, seats in front of you, in the seat pockets, there's these made new cards. And uh, later on, we're going to give you some light. 
and I want you to fill that made new card out. If you pray this prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, you're making a rededication of your life to Christ. You just fill that thing out and you just put it on the seat where you sat and we'll go around afterward and pick them up. If you want to take it out to Connection Central, that's fine as well. I want to pray right now and I want to ask you to join me in praying to receive Christ into your heart as the God King. Father, in Jesus' name, I admit and confess that in myself there's no good thing. That in myself I will be attracted to the darkness. In myself I will be attracted to those dark forces that are the undoing of the world that I live in. But I recognize, God, that that is not saving. That's not saving. What is saving is the God King who came to challenge death, serve with humility, and disperse grace. And I yield to Him today. I want, Jesus, I want you to rule my heart. I want you to make me like that. I want you to make me a person who values eternity more than life. I want you to make me a person that values serving over bossing. I want you to make me a person that values grace over performance. That's what I want you to do with me. I I know that's going to be a lifetime process, but I want you to start that in me today. And I worship you in all of your beauty as the God who did those things. Lifted up immortality over life. Lifted up serving over dominating. And lifted up grace over performance. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Let's say it together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's take some time and let's celebrate. All right, we already did this one, so you're going to know it. So I'm expecting you're all in the choir now. We're going to bring our choir up, but it's you too, okay? You ready?
give him praise today. Jesus, you're awesome.